Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. We're going to wind up our little mini-series on the Second Generation Challenge. I've been showing you that through Scripture, through experience, uh, and this is reaching way back into the Old Testament, into life today, that simply having a strong faith life yourself as a mother or a father doesn't necessarily mean that that will pass on in the same dynamic way to your children. In fact, uh, it's rather common for the second generation to have a real challenge in finding that level of faith. So I'd like to kind of turn that around from a challenge to a positive vision and just ask you the question, by you I'm talking about mom and dad, what is the mission of your Catholic family? And I don't know if it's good to have a mission. You know, corporations have mission statements. They want to know what they're doing, what they're about, what they want to accomplish. And it's not a bad idea to have an idea of a mission statement. Now, there could be several things, but, but at least here's one to, to begin with. The mission of the Catholic family is to pass on a legacy of faith to their children that will last for generations to come. Let me try that one more time. The mission of the Catholic family is to pass on a legacy of faith to their children that will last for generations to come. And there is a real problem, and beyond a problem, it's a crisis right now in the church. You've heard me so many times mention that roughly two-thirds of those raised in the church, and we're talking about Protestants and Catholics, young people, once they reach late teens or early adulthood, are just not practicing their faith. And the most recent survey shown this has now gone up to 75%. So this is what Pope Benedict XVI called an educational emergency, a failure to pass on the faith to the next generation. Well, the mission of the Catholic family almost reverses this, and it's trying to create a legacy of faith that, yes, will definitely go on to your children's generation, to the second generation. But more than that, the idea, God's concept and strategy and purpose and plan for the family isn't the faith just to last for your lifetime and not to go to your children, but to your children, to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren who are living after you have left this life. Psalm 93 in verse 13 is one of those positive visions. It says, Then we, your people, the flock of thy pasture, will give thanks to thee forever. From generation to generation, we will recount thy praise. That's the idea of the faith. It's supposed to be powerful enough and dynamic enough that just flows from generation to generation. You know, I had the uh, privilege of uh, seeing my oldest grandson confirmed recently, and he also did one of the uh, scripture readings during that Mass. And I just sent a note card to my daughter 
complimenting her and raising such a fine young man, but I sent her a scripture verse that she appreciated a lot. It's from the third letter of John. It's a tiny little letter, one page long, and in the fourth verse it says this, No greater joy can I have than this, to hear that my children follow the truth. And on the other hand, I realize there are those parents and grandparents hearing me right now that it's a real struggle and it's a a pain seeing so many children and grandchildren not following in your path of faith. And one of the things we want to do is not just dwell on the negative, but what could we perhaps pass on that we didn't know when we were raising our children that we could, say, pass on to our our grown children to help this? And we want to realize the context where we are today. Uh, Personally, I believe rather strongly, we are not in normal times for successful family life passing on a legacy of faith. In fact, I'll ask that another way. How can you as a parent pass on a vibrant faith when you're surrounded by a culture that has legalized and glamorized same-sex marriage and homosexual marriage? You know, we're just about through June when we're recording this, and uh, you know, June used to be my favorite month. It's my birthday month. It's Father's Day. And when I was a kid, that's when we would get out of school. I mean, what's better than the month of June? And it's just like, boy, I've just been feel like I've had um, bombs dropped on me one after another and all the type of aberrations of sexual union and relationships other than normal moms and dads and children in a family. So in this situation, this is a cultural situation. So the stakes of the challenge of the second generation are actually considerably higher in our day. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Please hear me carefully because somebody could take it wrong. But if you're depending on classroom religious education as a primary resource to build a legacy of faith, I think the probability of failure is very high. Now, I didn't criticize classroom education per se, but when classroom education is made the primary way that moms and dads and priests and deacons and teachers are depending on passing on the faith, in today's world, it's going to have a very difficult time surrounding. It's not designed to be a primary resource. Now, what is the primary resource? The church is very explicit, and that's parents are the primary educators of their children. And, you know, I've only written a pope once in my life. I, I'm laughing because I mean, I mean, you write the pope and give them advice, but there was something that just struck my heart in a very, very positive way. It's when Pope Benedict XVI declared that that educational emergency and passing on the faith to children, and he really called parents to step up to the plate. And I wrote him a letter just thanking him 
deeply for saying that. And then I mentioned that in my experience, when dads hear that, that parents should be passing on the faith, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, yeah, boy, gee whiz, my wife really needs to get on a stick and get going with that. The Pope's absolutely right. And the Pope said, parents. But in today's world, a lot of good Catholic men, when they hear parents passing on the faith, they think, well, that's my wife's job. And no, passing on the faith is a team sport, okay? It's called mom and dad. But dad is to take a leadership role in doing this. Why is that? If I can explain it real quickly, Dr. Paul Vitz, and I'm just putting his more complicated words in a very simple format, but imagine the electricity in your house, okay? In your house, you have electrical wires going all through your walls and ceilings and and uh, all you have to do is flip a switch and that electricity, the internal wiring of your house, he says, that's like a mom, okay? And moms really specialize in that internal wiring. And if you don't have that, you're incapable of functioning, okay? But dad's role is like the external wiring at your house, starting outside at your meter and that wire going to the utility pole and from there to wherever the electricity is generated. Your dad has that role of introducing you outside the family to the outside world. Now, obviously, there's overlap between moms and dads, but that's a real specialty with dad. Well, who's the big one outside the family you want your children to connect with? That's God himself. And that's why dads can play and should play a critical role in this. So back to that question, how do you pass on a, a vibrant faith when you're living in a culture that has legalized and glamorized homosexual marriage? Well, this might sound odd, but I'd say go back to some 4,000-year-old advice we find in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 18, we find that um, God is on his way um, to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, starting in verse 16, the men set out and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall be a great and mighty nation? No, I have chosen him. This is God's divine election. This is an act of God's sovereign will, choosing Abraham, but there's a purpose in choosing. And divine election doesn't mean we're, we're robots, we don't do anything. No, it means if God chooses us and we respond with doing the will of him who has chosen us. Well, it says, I have chosen him that for this purpose, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Now, this is what God felt was going to work in a culture surrounded by Sodom and Gomorrah. It was within eyesight of where Abraham was uh, raising his family and says, if Abraham does that, 
then the Lord will bring to Abraham what he promised him. And what did he promise him was a legacy of faith, that his faith would spread through the generations. And I'm not exactly sure what was in his mind, but God included in that to all the world. But he would take action as the father, take the responsibility to charge his children, to teach them to keep the way of the Lord. And notice it says he's not just teaching them religious facts. Christianity, as as what Judaism was in the Old Testament, was a way of life. It is not just going to church on Sunday and then not having a whole lot of connection with the rest of the week, but the way of the Lord is a consistent lifestyle, a path, a worldview, a faith that encompasses not just Sunday, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right through the week. That's the type of instruction that will work in a collapsing nearby culture, and that will work today. And you can do a lot of other things, but this is what worked when other things didn't. Now, imagine something even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's in the earlier chapters of Genesis. Noah, it came down to eight people left in the world that were following God. It was Noah and his family And talking about peer pressure, it wasn't like you were the only person on the street practicing the Catholic faith. You were the only person in the whole world. Imagine that. Imagine that. And what did the Scripture say about Noah? It says in Hebrews 11, but that Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, took heed. He knew he was in a tough cultural situation. He took heed and constructed an ark, not for the saving of himself, but for the saving of his household. He took action, spent a hundred years making an ark. And we also know from the letter of Second Peter that he wasn't silent about it. He was called a herald of righteousness. He opened his mouth, proclaimed faith in God. Now, our parishes Uh, spend countless millions of dollars um, trying to keep the kids faithful, and then there's youth programs and special conferences and everything else. But again, this focus seems to be a responsible father taking that active step to reach his family. And this isn't just advice from 4,000 years ago. St. John Paul II said this in the role of the Christian family in the modern world. This is paragraph 25. He said, above all, that means above all, where social and cultural conditions so easily encourage a father to be less concerned with his family, or at any rate, less involved in the work of education. Efforts must be made to restore socially the conviction that the place and task of the father in and for the family is of unique and irreplaceable importance. So in other words, guys, you're on active duty. You are called. You are called to lead the way. And in cultural situations where the culture is literally collapsing into darkness, you are just not nice, but you are necessary. 
You are necessary for God's plan to work in any situation. It's when the fathers step up and get involved. Now, um, there's some things you want to think about when you're doing this, and there's a mistake you can make, okay? And the mistake you can make, I'm talking to dads now, is to hear the call that I'm giving out, okay, but then going overboard. Um, in other words, and, and moms get this too, by the way, because you are alert to the cultural harm and potential harm to your children's faith. And believe it or not, this tendency to go overboard can really hit homeschooling parents because they see, uh, I, I, at least my experience, they're an unusually good group at seeing the cultural harm. It's one of the reasons that they're homeschooling. But remember this, you don't want to go overboard because if you go overboard and react too much, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment, your efforts will not produce what you hope they'll produce. So here's hint number one. And by hint, this is a very big hint, a very strong hint. Don't be a stern and joyless New England Calvinistic father that drives your kids away from the faith. Now, I'm not trying to single out Calvinist dads, It's except that if you read literature um, and, and novels uh, set in the context of early America, uh, the second generation is repulsed from the faith by fathers who are exceptionally committed to the faith but the way they go about it is kind of in this very stern and joyless manner. And here is the application, so to speak, of my hint. And I really need to emphasize this more because for me, it's one of the most important things that I learned as a single man uh, working in children's education and youth ministry before I got married seeing highly committed parents go overboard and as a result, lose their kids. So here's my strategy for that, okay? The more serious you are about your faith, and I would assume most of, the, most of those listening to my voice right now are among that group, then the more you need to counterbalance that seriousness with fun and adventure, and even crazy fun and adventure. Um, the best example that I know of is St. Thomas More, and his portrait is in my radio studio, and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, he was a man who get, literally gave his head to be cut off for the sake of the sanctity of marriage in England. He was one of the most serious laymen that I ever have read about. St. Thomas More would stay up half the night while the rest of the family was sleeping and doing some of the best 
apologetics, Catholic apologetics works that has ever been done in the English language. He would pray. He wore a hair shirt. He lived, I forgot how many miles, I'm just going to guess, something like 20 miles away from London, where he had a very high-level government position, but he thought 20 miles away from the heart of London was a better place for his family, okay? Um, In the modern world, I can't think of a more serious Catholic father, okay? But yet, here's something that St. Thomas More did. He bought a monkey. And when they would be having family dinners, and I'm sure they had devotions afterward and read scriptures and everything else, but while they're having the dinner, they let the monkey have at it while the family was eating. And the purpose of the monkey would just do all these silly things, and the whole family would just have a hilarious time watching this monkey's antics. And so my advice to you, if you are really serious about your faith, and I hope you are, that you'll remember Moore's monkey. And that not just Moore's monkey, but you need to develop ways to, because children are children. Um, there, you don't have, monasteries are monasteries. They're not homes. And a lot of guys who hear the call that I get, have already given earlier in this broadcast think they need to turn their home into a monastery, and it's a huge mistake. Let me tell you about Easter Sunday afternoon. Oh, I can't think of how many years ago this was. It was many years ago. We were living in Florida at the time, and uh, after our Sunday Mass, Easter, great celebration, we had a family get together with another family, and at that point, I gave my kids uh, dirt bikes, motorcycle dirt bikes, okay? Now, are they a little dangerous? Yep. And I'm probably getting into trouble just talking about this. But the wife uh, watching these kids, her kids and our kids, having this just wild and crazy time on these new dirt bikes on Easter Sunday afternoon, race around and chase each other. She said to me, Steve, you are the very last person I would ever expect to buy dirt bikes. And I kind of smiled to myself because... That's exactly why I did it. I learned the lesson. Uh, You want to try to turn your house into a stern, ironclad monastery, and uh, you just read some novel about some stern New England father and what happened to the second generation, and that will happen to you. And I didn't want that to happen. So um, you just want to remember Moore's monkey And remember that the more serious you are about your faith, then you better counterbalance that with some great adventures with your kids, um, some serious, (laughs) wild and crazy fun, do some things with them that, quote, religious people don't expect, okay? And you don't want to be overprotective because at least with boys, you need to be a little bit near the edge sometimes, okay? Second, hint, when you convey your faith to your kids, 
do so at your kid's pace and not yours. And I've mentioned this before, but imagine you had a conversion experience at 35 years old, and now your children are, say, like 5, 8, and 12, and you took you 35 years, so you're going to try to squeeze it into 3.5 years to get your kids up to speed to where you are. That's another huge mistake. Go at your children's pace, not yours. Being a good shepherd to them. And a, a wonderful verse for this that's kind of overlooked a lot is Genesis 33, where Esau and Jacob reunite. And Jacob said, um, well, Esau wanted to just press on, go, you know, go ahead. And Jacob said, my Lord knows that the ch- children are frail and that the flocks and herds giving suck are a care to me. If they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle, which are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord. He was shepherding according to their pace, not your pace. And if you had a radical midlife conversion, watch it. You don't want to interject your adrenaline for the faith into creating an artificial pace for your children that will rebound, make it natural. They're children. They'll grow and they'll uh, adapt themselves. And if you're involved in their life and as a father, you're showing the way of life and it's simply how you react and do things. And if you convey a picture of God that's true, your, your children will then have a much easier time getting to know God the Father. And you want to be sure as you're doing this that you're trying to establish a foundation that your kids will want to follow and include all of life in, in that. In that, God is full of joy. He created a wonderful world for us to enjoy with beauty and all kinds of wonderful things, and you don't want to make it uh, um, something that's simply negative and restrictive and on high commandments, but you want to nurture it in a way that the faith will go on from generation to generation. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 396 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.